0: If you'll find in the scripture, please, um, gospel according to Luke, Luke's gospel in chapter 19, Luke 19, please. If I may to read a rather long passage, I'll only get to half of it, but uh, to see it all, I think, is a helpful thing. So Luke in chapter 19. We take this up praying, Father be with us now, open our eyes, let us see it, and rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 19, verse 28, this is the word of the Lord. And when he, that he there is, Jesus, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. He was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, "'Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest.'" And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would the Jew even you had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And They will not leave one stone upon another until you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you shall make it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal, Men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. And then we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So we enter this Holy Week as the church knows it. I want, if God will help me, just to go back. To the last verse in 1 John. It was a surprising one, as you might remember, because John ends his epistle, which we spent, I think, from September until just last Sunday, most Sundays, thinking through this little epistle. Um, He ends it with this sentence, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That was a bit startling, you might remember, because John hadn't really talked about idols, at least this. Far as we knew as we read through it, uh, you read that verse, and uh, if you're like me, you begin to thumb back through the epistle saying, Has he talked about this already? Or is this just something he's, he's thought of? It seems rather out of the blue. But then we realize it's not out of the blue at all. Because what he has said to us uh, in verse 20 uh, gives him the perfect context for it. Verse 20 of First John chapter 5 is this. And we know that the son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So what John is saying, if you want to have real assurance of your salvation, which is the purpose for which he wrote his epistle, you remember, that we would have assurance. He said, you can't have any idols. Because if you trust for your life in anyone or anything other than Jesus, you will be trusting in that which is false and cannot save you. There can be no assurance of having real life, eternal life, life from God, life in God, by trusting idols. They can't help you. And you don't need them, even if they could help you in any way, shape, or form, because you already have the one who is true. and The one who is true is the one who is God and the one who gives eternal life. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one who is true true. Now, if we go back and read the Gospels, what we find is that Jesus continually got himself in trouble with the religious authorities for blasphemy because he kept making himself out to be who he is, God, this divine person who's taken on flesh and dwelt among us, the eternal son of God. And so Jesus would refer to him as the son of God, or more particularly the son of man. And they would see that reference as a reference all the way back to Daniel, which talks about this son of man being eternal with God, given authority over everything. And they knew what he was saying. I'm that one, that eternal one. I'm God with you. You might remember expressions that Jesus gave of himself. One occasion he said, I and the Father are one. On another occasion he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, Jesus again and again would say, to know me is to know God. To receive me is to receive God. To see me is to see God. To believe in me is to believe in God. To hate me is to hate God. To honor me is to honor God. And so continually he would draw attention to himself in this way, and anyone who had any discernment at all could hear what he was saying. And the religious leaders were driven crazy with that. In fact, he even would take the name of God upon himself, the name that God gave to Moses. You remember when Moses said, Who shall I say? Set Me, when God calls Moses to go back into Egypt and to deliver the people, and God simply says, here's my name, I am. I am. Always have been, always will be. I simply am. When Jesus said to the Pharisees one day before Abraham was, I am. It's a bit of odd grammar, if nothing else but they knew, what he was. they knew what he was talking about. In fact, we've rehearsed many times because this may be a significant portion of Scripture for me personally, so you have a tendency to hear those things perhaps more than you need to, but I continually in my own life go back to the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John and how astounding they are to hear I am, he says, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. And in each one of them, each one of these sayings, Jesus is taking the, the name of God I am. This is who I am. I am, I am. And I am necessary for your existence. For your life, without me, there's nothing. I'm the bread, spiritual bread of your existence. I'm the light of everything that you should see and can see, you see. I'm the door into the very presence of God. I'm the shepherd who leads and who guides and who nurtures and who cares for you. you see. I'm the resurrection and the life. There's no life apart from me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. There's nothing real ultimately except that which is true of me. I bring reality, the very reality of life to you because I am life. See? I'm the true vine, you, you can't live unless you're in me that was Jesus, but one of the things that really got these religious leaders was when Jesus would forgive sins, <laughs> and they would say, Well wait, only God can forgive sins, you can't forgive sins, I mean I can forgive a sin that someone has committed against me, but but who can forgive sins committed against God? Only God can do that, and yet Jesus would tell people, your sins are forgiven and 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 they would accuse him of blasphemy. In fact, even in Jesus' life, we find from time to time that people would worship him. Even the the magi that came at his birth knelt down and they worshiped him. This man who was born blind and Jesus restored his sight, worshiped him. uh, On an occasion where Jesus uh, walked on water and stilled storms, they His disciples said, worshiped him. And Jesus, a Jew, accepted that worship, even though he knew that we would have no other gods before the true and living God, and yet he accepted that worship. He knew that he was worthy of it. They all knew the great Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Yet Jesus received this worship. He knew that he was this divine son of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity puts it like this. It says, among these Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. He claims to forgive sins. He says he's always existed. He says he's coming to judge the world at the end of time. Now, let us get this clear. Among pantheists, anyone might say that he was a part of God or one with God. There would be nothing very odd about that. But this man, since he was a Jew, could not mean that kind of God. God in their language meant the being outside the world who had made it and was infinitely different from anything else. And when you have grasped that, you'll see that this, what this man said was quite simply the most shocking thing that has ever been uttered by human lips. And you see, that's it. That's a big question. It was the question of the days of Jesus. It's still the question right now. It's the question that every human being needs to deal with, and that is, who is this Jesus? Is he really who he claimed to be? And that, you see, is, what, is, what, is why we're here today. We, we know it. We know him. We know that all that he claimed about himself, that he was God with us, is really true and thus he deserves our worship. Each of our hymns this morning was essentially addressed to the second person of the Trinity, to Jesus, to worship him. And that, by John's definition in 1 John chapter 5, is not idolatry because in worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping this one who is true and who is eternal life. And to worship him means, yes, we bow before him. To worship him means that we praise him for who he is. He's God with us. And to give him thanks for all that he's done, you see. We realize what he's done. And we submit to him, to receive from him, all that he gives because we know that's life and there is life from no other. There's life in no other. Only from this one who is the son of God. This Palm Sunday, that was really what was on the minds of everyone. Who is he? Now, if you're reading through Luke's gospel, you come to a pivotal place in chapter 9 and verse 51. And at that, that point, everything seems to turn. Luke writes that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. In fact, it must have been so obvious that when he came among the Samaritans, they wouldn't receive him because they knew he was going to Jerusalem. I mean, like you could just see it in his face. He, he, he had a mission. That's why he had come. He'd come to get to Jerusalem at that Passover time. And so here he comes to this place at this time in uh, Jerusalem for this, this Passover meal. And as you know, Passover is one of the, the three um, Jewish festivals that the Jewish men, particularly people, had to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so here they were, pilgrims, some would say tens of thousands, some would say hundreds of thousands, uh, coming into Jerusalem to swell the population of the city. Um, and they would come for this Passover. Now, they were coming, at least initially, uh, because they thought, well, we would come for Passover. We're going to think through. We're going to celebrate. We're going to reflect upon uh, that first Passover when uh, our people were enslaved in Egypt, and, and, and God said, take this lamb and, and, and kill it and put the uh, blood on our doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over us. And, and, and we did, and we were then ultimately freed from our slavery. So they're thinking that Jesus is coming (laughs) and he knows it's the Passover. He knows now's the time when all that pointed to is going to be fulfilled in reality and will release my people, not simply from slavery to a political oppression, but I'm going to release my people from their oppression to sin. And I'm going to bring peace, not just within a nation or among nations, but I'm going to bring peace between people and God. That's the peace I'm going to bring. So he's coming at that time for that person. And Just a few things. We we know this. We read this pretty much every year at this time. I trust in your devotional readings that that you do. I sent out some readings in my little letter this this week, just the, the readings that I do. Uh, during this week, and I anticipated with great um, joy, really, t- to read. You know, t- about 25%, almost a quarter of the Gospels are about this one week in Jesus' life. Completely disproportional, even of his ministry life, because this is the week. And you know this wonderful story of Jesus acquiring the donkey. You think he's a donkey rustler. I mean, he just says, go get me a donkey. I'll tell you where it is. And if anybody questions it, you just simply say, the Lord has need of it. Now, now, that could be a miraculous thing, just those words so powerful that the person would relinquish his donkey. Or maybe it was set up ahead of time and that was kind of the code word. Who knows? But, but the point is that, that Jesus is, is able to get it. And you wonder, well, is that right for him to do? And and the answer is yes, because he's the Lord. That donkey and everything else belongs to him. Now, because he's just, I'm sure somehow that all worked out with the original donkey owner who had him in his possession. But, but the point is that Jesus is the Lord. And, you know, just each, each year when I come upon this passage, I begin to think about it. And, and, and I realize that that's true of everything in my possession. It's the Lord's. My thoughts, my strength, my money, my job, my family, my time. My friendships, my recreations, all belong to the Lord. Now, the Lord doesn't need these things. I and mean, he's fine without me, by the way. <laughs> but they all belong to him. And he essentially has said, I've given you these things. They're in your stewardship to glorify me to serve me, which is good for you, which is exactly true. And, and I, I think that little verse in Second Corinthians, that we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then I think, yes, that's true, but I'm supposed to take every minute and make it obedient to Christ. I'm to take every dollar and make it obedient to Christ. I'm to take every friendship and make it obedient to Christ. I, I, I'm to take my relationship with my wife and my children and make that obedient to Christ. Everything, you see, because he's, he's the Lord. And that little expression, no, N-O, Lord, is an oxymoron. Because if he's really the Lord, you can only say yes. And if you say no, then you're saying he's not the Lord. So, of course, when the Lord says, that's mine to serve me. We say, of course, yes. <laughs> but do we? But then the scene, uh, the, the scene of it. Jesus comes then uh, on this, on this, on this donkey, this, 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 this colt. Uh, the, the disciples see the scene and they, and they, they put their cloaks down on. This and then they set Jesus. This is just a, I I didn't notice this honestly until this year. Uh, And they brought it to Jesus, this donkey, verse 35, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. I, I don't know if that's just a way of saying he got on it or if they actually did it in honor of him to set it. Set him on this donkey, and, and the scene must, must, must just appear kind of funny. I mean, here's this grown man sitting on this, this donkey riding into the praise of, of, of people. And we know we've been around Palm Sunday enough to know the image here. It comes out of Zechariah in chapter 9. We read it this morning in our call to worship, where the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on, the, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We know from the history of the time, and we read these things, that when a king would enter a city on a, on a horse, uh, he was coming to, to bring war. But But if he comes on a donkey, he's coming to bring peace. And so Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is coming this way to bring peace. He, he says he's coming to you righteous. That is, this is the right way for him to come. This is exactly, this is the right way for him to come, the just way for him to come. And he has salvation, not political salvation. That is, he's not going to conquer Rome in that sense so the Israelites can be free, but he's coming with salvation to bring forgiveness of their sins. But notice, he's coming. Humble. Mounted on a donkey. person coming on a donkey doesn't seem like much of a threat. But he's, he's humbled. And what does that mean? Notice how the prophet Isaiah speaks of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 42. Speaks of the Messiah who's to come. He says, behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He says he's not going to cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench, but he'll faithfully bring forth justice. In other words, and what he's going to do, he's going to take us, take people, at the most vulnerable point, the greatest bruising, and he's going to touch in such a way that we won't break, but will actually be healed. He'll take a burning flax, a wick, if you will, that's been just about ready to be extinguished, and he'll blow on it in such a way that it won't go out but burst forth into flames. How does Jesus describe himself in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, And here's his self-description. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He comes in humility. John writes in John chapter 3, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John chapter 12. Jesus cries out and says, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, the Apostle Paul says, is the day of salvation. Now, a day will come when Jesus will come with his own to gather his own and judge the world. But he comes in his first coming, his first advent, to save. That's his intention. And how does he come? He comes in humility. What does that mean? It means he's not saying that sin is okay. He's not saying that we should go our own way. But in humility, he comes and he says, I will take it upon myself. I don't deserve it, but I'll take it upon myself. I'll take your sin and your sorrow I'll take your guilt upon myself, humility. And I'll pay what I do not owe, but I'll pay what you owe so that you may be saved. That's Jesus coming in humility in order to save. And he brings peace. Again, he brings peace between us and God. And it enables him, therefore, to be gentle towards sinners. To say, come to me. I know I'm God. And and the truth of the matter is, you deserve hell. You deserve to be condemned. If if all you know about me is that I'm God and I judge, and that's all you know, then you should be running. But I'm saying, come to me. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm I'm saying, come to me because I've already dealt with it for you. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, I know you're weary. You have to be. You've been dealing with this your whole life. This sin thing that's running from God, not being who you were really made to be. And Jesus says, you know, come to me, because I, in humility, came. How this Paul put it in that wonderful passage in Philippians in chapter 2? Which I would quote for you, but I always mess up one part and I don't want to do that. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. that's it. That's what he's announcing. He's coming into Jerusalem. Uh, We'll see it. We'll have eyes to see someday. They would uh, in the not too distant future, but he's coming in. And so what's then left for us? What's left for us when this Jesus, the very son of God, humility takes upon himself the penalty for our sin so that his power can be broken over us What's left for us? One says nothing other than to admit our sin. To admit that we've run from God and deserve His wrath. To admit that we're powerless over this condition in which we find ourselves over our sin, we're powerless. And while we've idolized this and idolized that, while we've trusted in this and trusted in that, we realize none of that can help us and save us. We've trusted in our good sense and we've trusted in our dollars and cents and we've trusted in our position among people. We seem better than others. No, 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 no. Now I trust in Christ alone. That's that's the message of this one who comes. And then they begin to praise him. And I have to say, there's something deeply satisfying in me when I get to this part. Satisfying because uh, I think finally Jesus gets his due. You know, in the gospel, he kind of hides himself and he doesn't, he doesn't allow people to praise him that much. He just says, Keep quiet about this. You know, a time will come when you'll see it better. So just keep quiet for now. And, and, and so finally, now he gets his due, and, 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 and the people begin to praise him from Psalm 118, which is a psalm that they'll sing after the Passover. And many of the pilgrims would sing it as a song of ascent as they're entering into Jerusalem. And they, they seem to be gathering around him. And the disciples put their cloaks on the, on, the, on the donkey, and then people begin to put theirs down in front so the donkey could ride. It's as if they're saying, we submit everything to you. We see who you are. We, we're submitting everything to you, and, and we worship you. And, and notice how they put it, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and other of the writers of this scene's uh I'll quote a previous verse in Psalm 118, which we sang this morning. Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But you get, it's more than just just heaping praise upon a man. But he, they're, they're worshiping him. Peace, they say. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It reminds us of the, of, the, of, the, of the announcement of the angels when Jesus was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Ah they're worshiping, worshiping Jesus. The Pharisees get it. It upsets them on two levels. One, blasphemy. How can he accept this? And the other is their own place is being taken by Jesus, and they don't like that. And so they say to Jesus, tell tell your disciples to stop this. And he says, no, no, no. If, 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 If I do, then the stones will cry out, and they'll be satisfied creation is always groaning until I return. You see it. Jesus is receiving worship that is to be attributed to God and to God alone because he's the true God and he is eternal life. Now, he had entered the city. It's difficult to know exactly what the people were expecting once he got in the city, how he was going to bring all this about. Uh, They wouldn't have expected what was to come. Uh, We know that even as we read throughout the course of the week, which we'll do together. But he comes to that Passover meal, and he lays out how he's going to do it. He gives them the battle plan. This is how I'm going to conquer sin and death. And he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he gives it to them. And he says, This is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, then he takes the cup at that table. And this too, after giving thanks, he gives to them and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my bloodshed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle adds, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. Now, what are we declaring? We're declaring that now is the day of salvation we're declaring his death he came to save and he came to save by way of his death and we're declaring that until he comes because when he comes he's going to come then to judge and to gather his own who've trusted in him as we enter this Holy Week. Now, you know when I say Holy Week, it's in quotes, because every week is holy, and every Sunday is holy. But you know what I mean. We've, We've kind of set this week apart just to concentrate our thoughts and affections on this time in the life of Jesus. And so as we enter this week, That's the question for each of us. Do we know who he is? Do we know what he's done? Do we know why he's done it? Are we idolaters? Or do we worship Jesus? Let's pray, Father. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for the assurance that he, Jesus, is the true God and eternal life. Thank you that this is the day of salvation. Thank you that during this day your spirit has come to us and revealed the truth of Jesus and opened our eyes and our hearts and enable us to see and believe. Continue that work in us that we'd see it once again, the glory of Jesus coming in humility to give himself that we might live to to, to conquer sin and death by way of the cross so that you'd be glorified in the salvation of your people. So seal that to us even now as we come. May we know we're in the presence of this one who has given himself himself and risen and ascended to oversee all of his work that his people may come and believe even until the day of his return and this i pray in jesus name amen